Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are loved. Go ahead and take out your Bibles, and um, I'll tell you what. Um, I'm trying to figure out whether I should tell you to do Romans 8 or Joshua 1 first. But, but maybe you could put one finger in Romans 8 and the other finger in Joshua chapter 1. Today's message, if you go ahead and, and you're writing notes, go ahead and title this there on your, on your instrument in whichever it is that you take notes on. Go ahead and write this down. We were going we're to continue with We Will. And um, this might be right here the conclusion of this We Will series. We're going to go ahead and call this one We Will Faithfully we will faithfully persevere. We will, I feel like this right here touches home to everyone. We will faithfully persevere. We will faithfully persevere. Does anyone remember? We will. We will. Um, what, what is the first week? What's the first message we said? We will what? Amen. We will be strong. The second week we said we will. <laughs> what? Oh, yeah. I thought you guys we. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, we will lead was the second one. And the third one was. We will be careful. And today is we will faithfully persevere. I, I hope this strengthens you and encourages you the way it strengthened me and encouraged um, me as, as I got prepared to, um, to, share, to share this with you all. I, I want to go ahead and start off what I see fitting. It's Romans chapter 8. And the reason why um, Romans chapter 8 is because I feel like the Lord kept taking me to that and he's taking us to it, especially Throughout this series, it's a verse that here at Ernest we're very familiar with, and it's Paul writing in Romans 8. I, the first week or second week, I'm not exactly sure right now, but we went in through that whole, the whole uh, text around this verse. So, so hopefully you heard that part of the message so you could understand where I'm coming from when I read Romans 8.28. So not to be repetitive with the context around this verse, I just want to read this verse specifically as we introduce we will faithfully persevere. I'm going to read it one more time, and it's this. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. And we know that all things work together for good. I, I want you to really understand those words there. And we know that all things work together for good. Paul is writing this to a bunch of believers. He's writing this to a bunch of listeners, and he's telling us, we all know that all things work together for good. But the question is, do we all know that all things work together for good? We all know that all things work together for good. But do we all know that all things work together for good? To those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. You've read, you've read this verse, you know this verse. you probably heard it at some reading at some point. So back to my question. Do we believe that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose? Do we believe that? Because it's a great scripture and it's a great scripture to to. to, to to recite, and it's a great scripture to memorize, and it's a great scripture to have up on our walls and whatnot. But do we believe that God, and this is so important that we understand this, causes everything to work together for good? Causes everything. So, so like, we can't just talk about, like, the good moments. I mean, this is serious. When we say causes everything, we're talking about like, life and death. Things that are very difficult, hard to even accept, and the things that are easier to accept. In Christ, all things work together. Like, I want you to understand the broader, I mean, 
the, the, the broader view of what this scripture is really trying to say. Do we believe that God causes everything to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose? I ask this multiple times because there are moments in my life that I'm not sure if that's true. Don't you love that I was just transparent with you? <laughs> I just almost went against the word of God right there. Personally, in my own life, I ask this because there are moments in my life where I'm not sure if this is 100% true. Of course, I'm going to twist this for a mo- in a moment. But eventually, I've recognized, eventually, there's a moment in my life that all those moments that I doubted, come on, how many of you can relate to me, relate with me in this? All those moments that I've doubted have been proven to work for good and always, always according to his purpose. So I ask this question, yes, because in my life there are moments where I don't know if this is true. But yet, in those moments that I've doubted, I've seen it eventually come to pass when God has proven to work that for his good according to his great purpose. Always, I can't tell you, almost all the time when it's surrendered to him, when it's offered to him, when it's Lord, you have it all. He, he really does have that manner in doing that. And we said this, we said this before, that Paul is not saying that all things are good or all things will be good. Very important, quite contrary. He's saying that all things work together for good. Because sometimes while it's happening, it's not good. But it's going to work itself for good, though it might not seem good. We've known that already. We've learned that here. It might not feel good, seem good, taste good, none of that stuff. But eventually in Christ, it's all going to work out for good. And that's what he's saying. And that takes a whole different meaning in our lives. And especially with what we have been discussing in our church here for the last four weeks, it takes a whole different meaning with godly leadership. We've been talking about we will, and we've been talking a lot about Joshua. And the reason why we stayed on Joshua chapter 1 and we've branched out from Joshua chapter 1 is because God has stirred my heart that we're not just raising a bunch of people that are called to necessarily just follow a leader, but we're also called to pe- for people to be out in this world and individuals that people will follow your lead. That you are all in Christ Jesus automatically pushed into leadership. If you are in Christ and the spirit of the living God is living inside of you, every single one of you is called to full-time godly leadership. This is a bonus. Ministry begins when we walk outside these four walls. Once we say amen, amen, you got your charge, great job, we had a bonus night, bonus morning. But ministry begins out there because how are you preaching with your life to the person sitting next to you? How are you preaching with your life to the person you live with? How are you preaching with your life, not necessarily your words, with your next door neighbor? Ministry begins outside these walls. Why is that so true for every single one of us? In Christ, we're all called to be leaders. Leadership is not for a specific person or specific individuals. In Christ, we are all called to lead in this world that is desperately longing for people to lead it. Amen? I don't even have to get political to prove that point. You know it. This world is looking and longing for people to lead them correctly. It takes a whole different meaning. Listen to this. We're never to expect simplicity or easiness in this faith. I get, I get very weary when I, when I, when I, when I, when I or, or I get very scared sometimes when I listen to certain preachers and they say everything is perfect once you get to Christ and everything seems perfect from the outside. It gets very scary because I've lived long enough with Christ to recognize everything is not always perfect. So God has challenged me 
in a way to minister in a transparent place to show I'm the first one to reveal to you that not everything is always perfect in my life. But that my leadership is becoming stronger because I'm recognizing my weakness. And I've gone over that in week two that in my weakness now I could lead effectively. Because I've given over my weakness to the Lord. And when I am weak then I recognize he is strong. So, so I, I understand that in this faith I can't just expect everything to be simple. Everything to be easy. But some things come through struggle. Hallelujah. Man, I just. Some things come through pain. Some things come through hurt. Some things come with or through shame. Some things we, we just can't expect to receive its fullness on earth, but we live with such faith that we know that eventually it will be made full in eternity. Okay? And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. But do we know? See, you could find in Scripture, and especially with the patriarchs in the Old Testament, and not because it's only these three names, but you see it very obvious in these three names because they're popularly, famously spoken about. You look at Moses' life and Jacob's life and Joseph's life, and we can keep on naming names and all that. But these are individuals who would only find their identity on the other side of struggle. When you look at the life of Moses and when you look at the life of Jacob, when you look at the life of Joseph and, and, and certain other individuals, have you recognized that their true worth and identity was always found on the other side of struggle? It was always found on the other side of pain. And I, and I think about Jacob. For some reason, God always takes me to Jacob. Like Jacob, some people are born in struggle. Jacob wasn't just living and received struggle. The Bible says that when he was born, he was already grabbing on to his brother's ankles. He was already trying to beat his brother. There was already something inside of Jacob that was fighting in struggle while he was born. Jacob was born in struggle. From the moment that his mom gave birth to him, and we're talking about Jacob in the Old Testament. Isaac's son, Esau's brother. And, he was, and, and for, the, for his entire life, we see that, that these men, Especially Jacob, as we speak about him for a moment, he was always wrestling his entire life. Jacob is wrestling. And why is he wrestling? If you really look into Jacob's life, Jacob is trying to figure it out for himself. Have you, have you lived life just trying to figure it out? You're just like, I don't know. I'm just trying to figure this stuff out. I don't know what's going on with me. I'm just trying to figure it out. Some of you, it's like it's the same roller coaster ride or it's the same merry-go-round. It's the same cycle. It's the same habits. It's the same things. It's the same weaknesses. And you're just trying to figure it out. You feel like, like Jacob for a moment? And Jacob, his whole life is just wrestling with God and he's trying to figure it out. What is he trying to figure out? What are you trying to figure out? Hopefully it's this. You're trying to figure out what your cause is on this earth. You're trying to figure out what is your purpose. You're trying to figure out what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. What is the good? What's the good that you're talking about here? And, and that is what Jacob is wrestling with. Where's the good? But in it, all they feel is hurt. While I'm searching for good, all I feel is hurt. Any, any, any um, ameners on that one? <laughs> I'm searching for good, but all I feel is hurt. And I don't believe it was in Jacob's old age sometime, somewhere past his 80s in which when we first see him wrestling with God. I don't see that being the first time, though it's the first time that the Bible says he was wrestling with the angel of God. 
and dislocates his hip and all that stuff. But I don't necessarily believe that's the first time he's wrestling with God. Because I just told you, I have this sense of understanding in scripture that since birth, we see that Jacob is constantly fighting his way to find himself. Which led eventually to wrestling with the Lord. But his whole life leading to the place where he wrestles with the Lord is trying to find himself. He's trying to find identity. I believe since a child, until close to 80 years old, he was searching and longing for his father's acceptance. Please listen to me for a moment. He was looking for love. And I bless you, and I really believe this. I believe he was looking for love from his father. I really do. I don't want to go off on fathers right now, but this speaks to my heart as a father. I think a lot of, a lot of the stuff that we're going through could be because of fathers or fatherless. But let's not get into that right now. But I believe that he was looking for acceptance. He was looking for love. But there was something going on with Jacob's father in which he loved his brother Esau. And loving Esau, there are times where we recognize that he leaves Jacob out of the picture. And it affects Jacob as he grows up. I, I, I'm, just, I'm just figuring this stuff out. And I believe that, that mom recognizes that. The reason why I believe mom recognizes it is because Jacob takes Esau to go, um, Isaac takes um, Esau to go hunting and Jacob always stays behind. To the point was that Jacob didn't know what to do with himself, so he carried on the trade of what his mother did. He says, I'll take care of the matters at home while my brother takes care of the matters out in the field. And his mother took him in, so he did as what mom does. While the other brother, which is what Jacob, I believe, actually longed for, was doing what he wanted to do. I want to go out in the field. I want to smell like sun. And I want to shoot a living animal and eat it. And cook it with that. I want some of that stuff. I want to know what it feels like to be a man. I believe that that's what Jacob was going through. So he's 80 years old and he's a mess at 80 years old because it was a mess since the day he was born. He didn't just become who he was at 80 because nothing happened from 1 through 80. I believe that some of the greatest things that happened to Jacob's life was from when he was 1 to 80, which caused him to become who he was at 80 and reveal it to the world. This is who I am. And all he could identify himself with was I'm just a deceiver and a cheat. And Jacob's whole life, he was longing and he was looking and his mom recognizes it. So what does mom do? She brings him in. She gets closer to him. Why? I believe mom felt sorry for him. I believe mom just said, Jacob, I see your pain, so I'm going to pay more attention to you. Because his dad, his dad and his brother would go hunt and he would stay behind. I'm sure that what this did was it affected Jacob's mind. I'm sure this messed up with his mind. I want you to think about this for a moment. Can you imagine dinner talks? They're all sitting down as a family, and the dad just sits there, and he looks at Jacob. He says, how do you like your food? And he says, your brother killed that one, you know. So proud of you, Esau. Imagine what that stuff did to him. I'm not proud of my brother. My, what was supposed to be my greatest partner in life has now been my greatest competition and enemy. Doesn't that happen even in churches? Doesn't that even happen in our own families? 
where we begin to compete and make our very own siblings our enemies because what happens is fathers have done it wrong. Fathers in the faith have done it wrong. Fathers at home have done it wrong. And what's happening is the children are fighting in competition to see if they could rise up and become better than the other and they don't recognize that no, every single one of you has a unique gifting, a unique anointing that could be glorious to the father's heart. But the father wasn't willing to capture that uniqueness. Instead, he divided his sons instead of bringing out each one's uniqueness. I am unique. I don't care if you're different from me and I'm different from you. And you know how to build stuff and I don't know how to build anything. I'm telling you though, in my differences, I'm still unique to my father's heart. And he will use me in my uniqueness because it makes my father happy. It took Abraham. Man, it took Jake. Yeah, you could give praise for that. But it took Jacob a long time to understand that. It took Jacob a long time. See, Jacob grew up to be a product of his home, like many of you. Jacob grew up to be a product of his upbringing, like many of you. And I speak to myself. I, too, am a product of my home, of my upbringing. So much that for the rest of his life, he wanted to be blessed. For the rest of Jacob's life, he wanted to be important. For the rest of Jacob's life, he wanted to belong. Most of the people that I talk to and are, are just longing to belong and be poor, it's because there's something, there's a deeper need inside. There's something inside that, because of something that they've been longing for so long. Jacob wanted it. His brother Esau always felt special. His brother Esau always belonged. His, other, his brother Esau was always feeling important. So what happens is Jacob sees his brother Esau in the field at a time where he was very vulnerable. And one day he takes the opportunity as his brother was starving to steal what he always desired and that was identity. So he brings soup to his brother who was very hungry and he says, you want this food? And he says, yes I do, please give me some, my little brother. Uh, you know, I don't, don't mess with me, just give it to me. He's like, I'm not giving it to you. He says, nanny, nanny, boo, boo, yeah. And he waves the soup in front of his nose. And he says, if you trade your birthright, the identity of the firstborn, I'll give you this soup if I could have your identity. So he takes the soup. Esau does it without hesitating because Esau doesn't know what it is not to have the birthright because all he knew was important. All he knew was special since birth. But Jacob was different. I honor Jacob because of this. Because his entire life he wanted approval. I think God saw that. His entire life, he wanted what Romans 8.28 is talking about. He wanted the good. What is the good? I want that. But I want you to know this because you could relate to this. The good comes sometimes with a lot of bad. The good comes with a lot of ugly. The good many times comes with a lot of pain. I hope I'm, I'm relating to the right people. The good comes with all that stuff. The good doesn't, doesn't come with a beautiful gift and a bow on it. Sometimes it comes with a struggle you have to carry for, the, for your whole life. And then God's calling you to a place of faith where you said, do you believe that I could use that for the good? And you're like, how can something so ugly eventually become something so good? 
How can something so painful eventually become something so good? How can something so nasty and shameful eventually become something so good? How can I last in this journey? How can I continue in my faith? How can I say I will faithfully persevere when all I carry is something that I don't even like to talk about? And you're telling me that Paul says in Romans that he's going to work it out for my good. How? It's easier for you to faithfully persevere because you don't carry what I'm carrying. And I respect that in you. Respect that in you. His whole life, all things work together. Eventually in Jacob's life it does. All things work together for the good. His whole life he didn't feel good. I'll tell you that right now. I could, I could go through scripture and show you his whole life. I believe this. Jacob did not feel good. I believe for his whole life it was not good for Jacob. But I want you to know that the whole process in which God took Jacob through was for the good. Please make sure you understand that his whole life was not good. His whole life did not feel good. But I see in scripture that the whole process in which God is taking him through is for the good. Maybe you could write this down. I believe that that is where our view has to change. That the Lord is working out a process in us. Come on. In which is for the good. The Lord is working out a process in us. In which is for the good. Don't necessarily be discouraged today because you don't see the good in all that you have gone through or in all that you are going through. Don't be discouraged today. Maybe you're like, this message is for me. I'm so discouraged. Don't be discouraged. That is not the purpose of this message. Don't be discouraged because you don't see the good in all. Everyone say the good. I almost feel like changing the message to we will be good instead of we will faithfully persevere. Just because what you're going through or have gone through, you haven't seen the good, don't be discouraged. But that you see in the future that all things will eventually work together for the good. I get it. You've been in the process for so long that it's difficult for you to even see into the future. Some people, it's hard to see into the future because you've carried this your whole life. So how do you want me to see that when all I've seen before me smacked in my face is this? And yet you want me to believe that Romans 8.28 says everything's going to work out for the good. I can't see over there because I'm, drow- I'm drowning over here. If I'm underwater here, how can I see what's above water over there? Come on. I, sometimes I pray that the Lord will take away my anxiety. Sometimes I wonder, is it sin? Is it? And then he says, I'm working it for your good. I'm working it for your good. See, Jacob wanted to be identified so bad. He wanted. He longed for identity. Uh, I know that. You know, I know that Jacob longed for identity, and, and I could relate, man, I could relate to Jacob. One day he longed for identity, and him and his mom conspired a plan to dress like his brother, to put the smell of his brother on his skin, to put, 
to dress in the clothes that his brother wears to make himself hairy like his brother. What is, what is Jacob doing? He's so, so stupid. No, he's not. He sounds just like me. He's so me. He's so me. What he did was he was trying to put on the identity of someone else to see if the blessing that works for them, if I could put on their identity, will it also work for me? Churches do that. Pastors do that. Christians do that. Human beings do that. I will do whatever that person does because there he's successful. And I want to find identity in that success. So I will begin to dress, talk, and do as they dress, talk, and do. And you take on someone else's identity to try to find yours. But then you recognize that that brought more problems than it did brought good to your life. How do I know that it brings more problems? Because his dad, he tricks his father. And his father prays for him the blessing. He lays hands on him and he prays over him. And he's like, yes. I'm, his dad's blind and his dad's old. He's at the point of his death and he's, he gets next to his dad's bed. And he says, father, it's me. And he says, get closer so I could smell you to see if you smell like Esau. And he gets closer and he says, you smell like him. Let me touch you so I could see if you feel like Esau. And he touches him. He says, you feel like Esau, but you don't sound like him. And you could try to live with someone else's identity. But it's not the sound that the, God, that the Lord gave you. And he prays over his son and he gets up and he's like, yes, I have dad's blessing. He, you could almost picture, finally, I'm successful. I'm going to receive all the good things. And, 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 and instead of it turning out for good, like Romans 8.28 says, in Jacob's life it gets a whole lot worse. He now becomes a fugitive. Mind you, he lived at home. Now he becomes a fugitive. Why? Because his brother is out with ravishing, with rage, out to kill him. And Jacob had to learn that in his older years that, yes, my insecurities and issues are mostly due to my upbringing. But Jacob, even when, when, even Jacob, when you worked it all out to get a hold of your father's prayer and you worked it all out to get a hold of your father's blessing, not even that worked. And Jacob recognized at old age, I, man, I did everything that I needed to do to get better. I did. How many of you feel like you've done everything that you could do to get better? You took all the steps. You did everything you needed. But you're recognizing that it's in none of that. It's in the place where you have faith to understand that maybe he wants to use that for his grace greater good, though it's your personal pain right now. It was an encounter eventually with God in which he saw who he was. Jacob's life, I could truly say this for what it means, he was re-identified because God changes his name from that to feeling lonely and fatherless. Isn't this crazy? Wow, man. Isn't this crazy? That he, he felt fatherless, but his new name would be father of many. Because his pain, because his hurt, because his issue would have become the greatest instrument for his ministry. 
So when I felt fatherless my whole life, now God's called me to be father for the rest of my life. How can a fatherless individual now become father? And God uses what was his weakness. God uses what was his pain. God uses what was Jacob's very own issue to now become the instrument of his ministry. Because that is what you dealt with and that was the process you went to. Now I'm going to use that as the strength of your ministry because many are going to be able to identify with you. Man. So why did all this happen? Jacob, all things eventually were going to be worked out together. For this moment of your life, Jacob, for the good. I don't want to get into it, but I could go into a whole other preaching on Moses. But what I'm trying to tell you is that in life, everything will not come easy. How many of you can admit with me that every, everything in life does not just come easy for you? That's probably why you're in this church. And <laughs> because everything doesn't come easy. For this church, everything doesn't come easy. <laughs> I'm like, my God, people plant churches and the next day they have 10,000 in attendance. How come it's so easy for them? So I go and I go to the same seminars they do? Yeah, I'm being serious. You know, I'm talking from my heart. I go and I meet with them one-on-one. It's like, how did you grow your church to 5,000? And it's like, we do this. And I'm like, okay. You know, you thought that it was like a magic potion, like something they do, something. And it's like, oh, okay. And God's like, it's just not going to come easy. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> I don't know. I got too transparent there. But I feel like God's just saying it's just the work that I do in you, man. The work I'm doing in your people. Everything in life will not come easy. If most of your life has been difficult, then you share something in common with some great individuals in the word of God. Amen? But because of your faithfulness, will you persevere in all things that are thrown in your path? Will you, will we faithfully persevere? It's possible when we could say this, right? This doesn't seem good, but I have a faith that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Amen? In Joshua chapter 1, verse 6, because the Lord tells Joshua, let's get, let's, get into the, let's get into the foundational verse of our series here, or passage. He says, be strong, courageous, for you are the one that will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors, that I would give them be strong and very courageous. And then he says, be careful to obey, you remember that from last week, all the instruction Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them. Notice what he's telling them here with the instructions. Watch what he's being careful with, obedience. But watch in his obedience. Guys, please break down scripture properly. What is he doing in his obedience? He's not deviating and he's not turning to the left or to the right. I feel like he's almost saying you, you need to faithfully persevere. Stay on track. Don't get off track. And then you'll be successful in everything you do. I, I heard last week's call that we will be careful. I heard it. A call to obedience. Careful to be obedient. But I recognized this as I was getting ready to this, for this message. Obedience, yes, is where my success is found. But I know that faith and perseverance is to be rooted in my obedience. Be careful to obey. Do not deviate. Do not turn to the left or to the right. The word persevere. To persist. In anything undertaken, to maintain your purpose, to maintain your purpose in spite of difficulty, obstacles, or discouragement, to continue steadfastly. How many of you can say amen? So what I want to do today is this, ready? I want to build up your faith and I want to cause you to believe that that in which you have gone through or that in which you're going through, to see it as working itself out for the good for a greater purpose. Are you able to recognize what has been given to you? 
Seriously, are you able to recognize what has been given to you? Though it is all negative, negative things in which is described as, are you able to recognize that what has been given to you, though it may seem negative, can actually be worked out for good? Because we're talking about godly leaders. We're talking about godly leadership. And godly leadership, what am I called to do? To recognize the uniqueness of my story, the uniqueness of your story, the uniqueness of your pain. And now what do you do with the uniqueness of your story and your pain? Guys, please listen to this. You use it as a strength in your ministry into pouring into others. Because when you speak it, it's not just words. I see that you live it with your life. So you have a unique story that is different than the person sitting next to you. And the purpose for your unique story is because it's going to be one of your greatest reasons of your ministry into pouring into others. God is going to use your pain so that that way it could pour into other individuals. So that way it could be what your ministry is identified as. And you may have something, man, so important. You may have something that only you carry for this moment or for that moment with a certain individual. You may have something that only you carry at the moment for someone else that can eternally transform them in their season of pain and loss of identity. How will I ever be found? And then someone walks into your life with a very similar pain. So you could find yourself. And God winks at you and says, do you like the way I work? Some of us in it are like, no. I prefer you just do it better. And another way, my way. But I, I wish I could tell you, I don't know why God does it that way. But there's a reason why God does it that way. I'll dig into scripture and pray to see why God does it that way. But he does it that way. You have something that only you carry at this moment for someone else that can transform them eternally into their season of pain and loss of identity. So what do you got to do? You got to be ready. I'm thinking about Paul when he tells Timothy what? Preach the word. And what? And be ready. Be ready when though? In season and out of season. But even when I'm in pain and I'm hiding and I'm running, out of season. You be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Be ready. How many of you can say be ready? Man, we will faithfully persevere. Joshua, Joshua chapter 1, the command that God gave him. Joshua, just like us. Listen, he had to fight many battles. If you study Joshua's life, his battles were just a whole lot bloodier than ours. We learned in Joshua chapter 12 that it names us 31 kings. I hope you remember that, that, that message. 31 kings Joshua and the Israelites had to go through. 31 kings were defeated by Joshua. Joshua, just like us, had to fight many battles. But I believe this, that Joshua remained planted in God's word spoken to him in Joshua chapter 1. I believe the Joshua that we see in his old age in Joshua chapter 23 is because he found himself in the word that was spoken to him in an encounter with God in Joshua chapter 1. And Joshua chapter 1 is made him who he was up to the end of his life in Joshua chapter 23. So how will you persevere in this journey? I'm not talking about just making it. Many just make it. The Bible says many will walk in smelling like smoke. I don't desire to smell like smoke when I get into eternity. I don't want to walk into heaven and then there's umos, you know, umo coming out. <laughs> I don't want that. No, it's good. I mean, you still made it, but it's, it's, it's not good on earth to go in like that. 
How will we persevere? Not just making it, but listen, but persevere in godliness in the difficulties the life, that our life has brought us. And I come to trust that it's, that it's in faith. And maybe this is the biggest thing that I'm going to share today. Because the truth is, the Bible teaches us that we're never going to be able to please God. If I were to ask you right now, what is the greatest way that you could please God, how would you answer that? How can you please God? Obedience, what else? Worship. The Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please God. The way to please my father's heart, the way to please God's heart is by, Lord, giving me greater faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. I love how one bishop taught it to us. He says, it's not difficult to please God. It's impossible to please God. Eugene Peterson says it this way. He says, it's impossible to please God apart from faith. And why? Because anyone who wants to approach God must believe both that he exists and that he cares enough to respond to those who seek him. The New King James says those who diligently seek him. He says he cares enough to respond to those who seek him. He, what, 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 is the, what is the passage telling me here in Hebrews? I don't know who the author of Hebrews is, but, but the author of Hebrews, what is he telling us? He's telling us this, that God has a tendency to respond to your faith. Yeah, he did, man. When Joshua was out at war and stuff like that, he says, sun stand still, and the sun stands still. God's like, oh, cool, you have faith that I could cause it to stay daytime for many hours? Watch this. I'm going to respond to your faith. And the sun stood still, and Joshua conquered and won a battle. I mean, God responded to his faith. In Scripture, we see God responding to individuals' faith. And my, I recognize that my past perseverance has shown fruit today because of my faith in it. And have you noticed that my past perseverance becomes yet a story and a testimony for others today? And my present and future perseverance in the midst of difficulty is only possible, I recognize what Hebrews is telling me, through faith. So here's some points I want to make. And the Lord will respond. In responding, I believe that he will use the past struggles and current struggles, the things that we have to and had to persevere through to continue to build up our faith and the faith of others that we lead. You know why I feel like we struggle? Everyone say why. Because you're going to lead people that have similar struggles. And why can you identify with them? Because you struggled as they struggle. You've hurt as they hurt. You've pained as they've pained. So you love in a way that I would never be able to love your field. The woman that has been abused and God changes her life and then she goes to shelters of abused women, she loves these abused women in a way that I can never be able to love them because she relates in her ministry point into them because I share that in common with you. I could go in with the love of God, and that could be enough to transform someone. But she can relate in a way that I would never be able to relate to their struggle. So in responding, he uses our past and current struggles, things that we've had to persevere through to build up ourselves and to build up and give faith to others. If we don't show ourselves, here's some points. If we don't show ourselves your, our own struggles, your struggles, the ability to have faith in your struggles, in your pain, to know that he is working it out for good, how will we then genuinely and effectively lead others and grow others? 
If others can't get around me and see that I also struggle and I also have pain, then how will I eventually, in truth, genuinely and effectively lead them and grow them? Some of the greatest growths in my life has been coming under other people's struggles. Has been coming under other people's pains and seeing how they live through the midst of it. Seeing how they faithfully persevere under it. See, we don't want to lead anyone with false perceptions that we have to hide our difficulties, to show that we're actually strong. We're not fooling anyone. Listen, I want to burst any bubble, and I want, to, I want to kill any notion in which you feel like you need to present yourself of anything that you're not. When you walk out these doors, I want you to understand that you don't have to try to convince anyone that you're strong. Because if anyone has any sort of brain, they already know that, you're, that you have weaknesses in your life. You don't need to convince people that you're something for them to follow you. Don't give people a false perception of who you are. Don't hide necessarily all your difficulties. Listen, when truthfully it can be that, listen to what I write here, it could be that the greater growth in others will be seen when they can identify to your struggle and see you walk in your struggle with faith. As Hebrews 11 puts it, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. Hope you're learning something today. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. Joshua had 31 battles. Joshua had 31 kings to fight. But he persevered in all of it because though he didn't see the physical evidence of it, of all that was promised to him there, he had a faith in it. And he had 31 kings to fight. And yet, how am I going to do this? One time I told you this in week one, five kings rose up against him. How do I kill him? How do I do this? See, he lived in faith. And what do we learn in Hebrews 11.1? 1? Faith is the substance, and substance is matter. Faith is the substance. Substance is tangible. Faith is the substance. Substance is, when it says faith is the substance, that means substance is solid presence. If you're going to say faith is substance, that means it's something that I could touch. Faith is the substance. Why would, why would the author of Hebrews write that faith is the substance? So he's showing me that in faith there is something there. There's a substance. There's a matter. There's a tangible. There's a solid presence. So I wrote this down. Your faith operates in the known because it sees and believes in the tangible, solid presence that God will and does come through in the unknown. Though I don't necessarily see it, I live my life seeing it. And it's tangible in my faith that it's there because God works in these ways. Though I see struggle, pain, misery, hurt, and all these things that we could describe it as negative, yet God, I see it in the future, is going to work it out for good. And that's crazy talk, though. That's insane stuff if you really, if you really uh, think about that for a moment. Because, because it's saying here that we know all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. I said we will faithfully persevere. So there was a question, right? A question that we started off with in, in, in the beginning. And I said, why do we do this? We need to constantly ask ourselves that. Why do we do this? And who do we do it for? None of us, and none of, I don't do this for anyone or anything in specifically. My, my one perspective is I honor my leadership. I honor my pastors. I honor, I honor my overseers. I honor the ministry I belong to. I honor the family of churches I belong to. I believe in honor and I believe in loyalty like you have no idea. Loyalty is something that I'm key to. I don't believe in all these things that are happening nowadays. I believe in honor and I believe in loyalty. I don't believe in what's the coolest thing and the next thing and the hypest thing. I believe in honor and I believe in loyalty. But all that I am and all that I am doing is supposed to be with God as my focus. Why do I do it for and who do I do it for? It's for Christ. 
It's for Christ. It's to honor him. It's, it's why I do this and who I do this for. And this life, and it's difficult to say this, it's not always about my pleasures, and it's not about my wishes, and it's not about my demands. Your life is hard to say this. It's not about you. Isn't that such an oxymoron? Your life is not about you. We read that in the Bible. Paul says, finally, when I found myself, he says what? I've been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In this life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. How does Paul come, to, how, how does the apostle say that? He, he says, finally, I've come to grips of who I am. Who are you? I'm a dead man walking, and I'm, I'm Christ now. I take on Christ. I, I, it's not about my pleasures, my wishes, or my demands. Our lives, man. Our lives, listen, will bring surprises that we're, at times, we have no control of. How many of you have carried something you have no control of? It? But here's a great question to ask. Will it shape you and build you like the clay in the potter's hand and mentioned in Jeremiah? Will it grow you? Will it grow us to be transformed more into his image? Will it open up opportunities to enter from glory to glory? Here's a play of words. We, everyone say, we will faithfully persevere. I'm going to switch the first two words. Will we? Faithfully persevere? We will faithfully persevere. Will we? Will we faithfully persevere? 1 Corinthians 15, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. Paul is writing and he writes something that is titled, Our Final Victory. And I feel like this is such an encouraging place to end, or close to end. Uh, go to 1 Corinthians 15 and look at verse 50 with me. It will probably come up on the screen. Yeah, it's... Just listen to this, because this is about our final victory. This is when the end comes. So it's very encouraging, right? The first few verses here. And this is Paul describing that, that great day. That great day, okay? Watch this. He says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, man, that trumpet. Oh, when the saints, I just feel like singing a song. Oh, when the saints. For when the trumpet will sound, then the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Verse 53. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. Verse 54. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, man, do you love the transformation that's happening? And when this mortal has put on immortality... Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Haiti, where is your victory? Notice Paul's writing. There's still corruption, still all these different things on the earth that we're dealing with. But one day there's incorruption. One day there's immortality, though we're mortal. Verse 56, he says, The sting of death is sin. And the strength of sin is the law. But 57, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you could say, wow, that great and glorious day, amen, yes. But look at verse 58. Look at verse 58. Therefore, all of these things, yes and amen, the final victory is ours. And Paul's like, therefore, since I just said all that, therefore, my beloved, notice his words I know I pumped you all up right now but therefore my beloved be steadfast 
be immovable. Why, why, do you, why would Paul encourage people to be steadfast and immovable? Because they're movable. Because they're weak. They struggle. So Paul's like, there's a great victory coming. And everyone's like, in the church getting wild. And he's like, but therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast. Immovable. Always abound in the work of the Lord. He's telling them, faithfully persevere. I want you to know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You're unmoved. You're, you're to be firmly planted, firmly persistent. I love Joshua had a partner named Caleb. If you remember, Joshua and Caleb are the ones that, um, that went and spied the land together. It was his friend. It was his co-laborer. I love Piper's, John Piper's words about Caleb. I'm just going to read an insert from Piper. It's not from me, but I think you'll be blessed by it. It says, Caleb was 85 years old when he reminded Joshua of a promise that Moses had made to him, which was to give me this mountain. When they reached the promised land, I read Caleb's story again. First in Numbers 13, 14, and then in Deuteronomy 136, and particularly in Joshua chapter 14. Five times we read a telling phrase in the context of Caleb where he is wholly followed. Wholly followed. He allowed the Lord wholly followed. He, he followed the Lord wholeheartedly. That was Caleb's life. There was nothing half-hearted about him. There was no sometimes on and sometimes off. Sometimes hot and sometimes cold. There was no choosing when he would follow or when he wouldn't. And he was 85 years old. And he was 85 years old. And he could, what he's saying is, and he could have given excuses. And he was 85 years old. I'm not quite there yet, but I thought, that's, that is what I want to be like. I want to be wholehearted. Somebody recently asked me, who are your heroes? And I had to stop and think, I really don't have any heroes except Jesus. But I realized that in one sense, Caleb is one of my heroes. He was still going strong at 85 years of age. Still prepared to fight for a mountain that was inhabited by giants with fortified cities. He went for it. He did not give up. I guess what he's saying is, as wholeheartedly, he was steadfast. I guess what he's saying is that Caleb faithfully persevered and would not give up. With faith, he recognized, I don't see it yet, but I see it in my faith. That mountain is spoken to me. It's mine. We will faithfully persevere. At the end of Joshua's life, I always go back to these verses because I feel like these verses are so powerful. He calls all the leaders together. Verses 2 through 4, and I'm going to skip 6 and 7, and we end with this. It says, he called all the elders, all the leaders, and all the judges, all the officers of Israel. And he said to them, I am now a very old man. This is, the, this is eventually something I'll, I'll preach here. You've seen everything the Lord your God has done for you during my lifetime. The Lord your God has fought for you against your enemies. How many of you were here on Wednesday? And I read the scripture that said, 
I will become an enemy to your enemies, God says, and I will become an adversary to your adversaries. He calls us to be careful, to be obedient, and he will be an enemy to our enemies. Wow. When people sometimes are looking for a fight with me, anyone ever look for a fight with you? Maybe it's not blows, but you know what I'm talking about. They're just poking at you. They want to fight. And sometimes they do it with, with holy words because they want to make sure that they're holy, so I'm going to pick a fight with you. And you, you guys know you've lived long enough with your family and friends and, and each other to understand this conversation. But have you recognized not to say anything? Are you recognizing to stay quiet? Are you recognizing just to say, so be it? Why? Because if I just continue to live in obedience, my enemies becomes his enemies. My adversaries, he becomes their adversary. That's powerful scripture. Whatever. I have allotted to you your homeland, all the land of your nations, yet unconquered, as well as the land of those who have already conquered. From the Jordan to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, verse 6 and 7. So be very careful to follow everything Moses wrote in the book of instruction. And look what he tells him again. Don't deviate from it. Don't, to end of his life, man, don't turn to the left or to the right. Make sure you do not associate with other people remaining in that land. What he, in layman's terms, what he's saying here is, he's not telling you not to associate. Don't mix yourself with godless people, is what he's saying. Don't mix yourself with the ungodly. Look what he says, do not even mention the names of their gods, much less swear by them, or serve them, or worship them. The end of Joshua's life, he's telling all his leaders, elders, he's telling his whole team of leaders, faithfully persevere as you've seen me faithfully persevere at the end of my life. And you've seen that God has ever done in my life, in my old age, amen? So, so you have struggles and you have pains and you have worries and you have doubts and you have hurt and you have all these things. And I don't know how to take them away from you. I don't even know how to take it away from myself. So I share with you and say, I don't know how to take it away. If not, I would have taken mine away. And for sure, I would have taken all of yours away. That is my, my greatest desire. I, had a, I was telling your brother yesterday, if I had like a magic wand or a magic touch where I could just touch people, everything's just taken away from them we'd be the holiest church man just be touching you as you walk in hitting you with the wand my son watches Wally Kazam you know everything that wand does it happens and the guy just give me a wand like Wally Kazam and just wave it and the blind see the lame walk the pain leaves but then I have my own pain I fasted for it prayed for it I've asked leaders over my life to lay hands on me for it and yet God tells me in my heart I'm going to work it for your good I'm going to work it for the good so you better build up your faith because without faith how are you going to persevere giving you this stuff to work for the good you need to faithfully persevere so on that day you could see that pain that struggle so you could see it begin to work for the good every single one of you I'm gonna speak into your life watch this it's almost like I'm gonna say I'm gonna prophesy but I can't because it's it's well I could say that because I'm preaching the prophetic word of God yeah I'm gonna prophesy the word of God to you and it's this 
there is a good, there is a good, there is the good in every single one of your lives. There is the good. He's working it all out for the good. You can't see it, but I want you to have the faith to recognize that it's tangible, that it's there, it's present. The God is working it. There is a good. So I'm going to speak it to your life and your pain and your misery and your hurt and your struggle in the, in the aspect of you drowning to try to persevere. To my people that are just underwater right now, you feel like you have a straw in your mouth and you're, you're just gasping for any kind of breath. I want you to know that you're not the only one here that's gasping for breath. 